and welcome to episode 94 of our SAP on Azure video podcast. Today is May 25th and together with Robert and Goran, we're here to talk about anything related to SAP and Microsoft. So first of all, welcome back from vacation, Goran. Thank you. <laughs> so one of the cool or better um, important things about Azure is the security and huge number of certifications, which often only enable customers only to to actually run their um, workload on Azure. So if you're working in certain industries, you need to have certain compliances in place. So today we have Ben and John joining us to talk about running an SAP system on Azure for regulated industries. But before we hand over to them, let's start with some news from this week and actually Goran, um, there is something one of your favorite topics, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So some small but important update uh, related to the Azure Shared Disk and also the proximity placement group part, which is at the bottom of the page where you have it. If you can just scroll a little bit more yeah. down. So maybe it's important update uh, on the documentation, which created also a bit. There, there was some change and um, the old documentation was not initially updated, so it created some confusion. Initially, with the Azure, Azure Shared Disk requirement was to have uh, to use a proximity placement group. Okay, so this is not required anymore, right? The customer can use it, but they do not have to use it in general, and there is no uh, requirement to use it. However, if they would use it, um, if they decide to use proximity placement group, all the VMs needs to be in the same PPG, which are using the shared disk. Another part is if they go to the zones, uh, typically they would use two proximity placement groups. So one proximity placement group in one zone, another proximity placement group in another zone. And basically those VM cannot be in the same PPG. And this is also a, a document and this a link to the PPG with the zonal deployments. So there is PPG, those VMs, that use the zonal redundant shared disk are not part of the same PPG. So that that's the update. So uh, and there was a confusion initially for the zonal deployments, like one PPG, but across the zones will not work, right? So this is a uh, updated and um, for the customers. So looks good now. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So so this was one news, but obviously the the big news from from this week is um, Microsoft Build, which is actually still running. So um, it, it started yesterday, um, but it will also continue till um, um, till tomorrow. But and actually, I mean, when we publish the the uh, the, the podcast, this was all this will all be be history, I would say. But it's a it's a pretty cool history, I would say. Um, so I I watched the the keynote from from Satya. Um, for build and there were like 10 big um, blocks that he talked about and th there's really a lot of content and, and we can definitely not cover all the content today but i would say take a look at the um, book of news um, so you will find the link to the uh, uh, to the book of news all as always in the in the show notes there there's really some some really really cool stuff and i um, picked a few topics um, that i wanted to share so the first one is all, and, and you can already see also this one is a, is a pretty long um, um, blog post, but the first one is all about this collaborative apps within Teams. Um, so really enabling 
um, users now to collaborate um, together. So, so not only, for example, that I share my screen, but that we can work together on, on the screen that I'm sharing. There were some announcement around Microsoft Mesh and Teams so that you really have the possibility now to, uh, or not yet, I think this, this is an, uh, a feature that will come in the future, that you have these avatars that you can work with. Um, there's a lot of stuff around um, the Power Platform um, about these collaborative apps like um, the loop components where you um, all of a sudden not only have a static um, adaptive card, but where you can really um, integrate um, and, and, and collaborate on, on certain topics. We have um, chatbots also on the SAP side um, that are now um, um, available or will be available soon um, when it comes to the Teams integration. So there, there's really a lot of content when it comes to this um, this notion of collaborative apps. To, so really making the interaction um, between participants, both online and then obviously in in the in the office, um, um, much more collaborative and, and efficient. So really a lot of fantastic things that were announced here. Um, the next thing is around in in the data and analytics um, space. Um, so obviously. Um, yeah, we, we have these components like um, Power BI, Azure Data Factory, Synapse, um, Purview, and now what we are we're we're building here is this um, intelligence data platform. So so really bringing together a lot of um, topics that we had individual standalone basically um, in the past, and and bringing them together. So here all the different components coming together into um, and yeah the intelligence data platform. I think this will also help a lot customers because in, in a lot of cases we see customers even today already not only using um, um, individual products but really the whole tool chain and um, with this announcement here we are really doing the first step of, of bringing all of these tools together i'm staying within the data area and also power bi has some some cool announcement there, there's data mart um, announcement for for power bi so so new ways how you um, can build a data mart and, and um, connect this to, to Power BI or, or use Power BI for the visualization. There are some, some nice things about uh, data storytelling in PowerPoint. So I think that that is also an um, important thing when you when you have your um, executive presentations, obviously you want to have live data. Now you can embed um, their um, Power BI to really have their an integrated live update more or less into the data. There's an integration in Outlook and the Office Hub. So, so really, there's not only from an um, from an user experience, but again also from this integrating, making Power BI by available in other products and um, making the experience, um, the consumption more and more seamless. There, there's really a lot of things that are happening um, in the in the Power BI area. Um, the next thing is um, still with with uh, within data. So. I, I talked when I mentioned the intelligence um, data platform. We talked about um, the connectivity, like with Azure Data Factory, and obviously in our context, um, um, we, we always talk about how can we connect to an SAP system. And yes, we we have an ERP connector, we have some HANA connectors even already today. But um, what we've announced um, yesterday basically is the SAP CDC, the SAP Change Data Capture connector for Azure Data Factory. Basically, what we are doing here is we are introducing a new connector, so it will be in, in public preview um, very soon. Um, we have 
had this now in private preview for for some time so we have quite a few customers that have already um used this so with the cdc connector we are connecting to the odp framework from sap and from there we can um get access to a lot of different um, data sources on the SAP side. So with this CDC connector, I think we have a beautiful way to connect to an SAP system, um, get the data into Azure Data Factory, and, and from there, um, yeah, uh, really leverage the, the whole data story um, on, the, on the Microsoft side. And so just a few more days, then you can also join um, the public preview here uh for for the cdc connector and i think if you have an sap system this is definitely something that you should check out um one of the targets um of uh this data is obviously the power platform and there were tons of announcements for the for the for the power platform um at, at build and um one of them that obviously was 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 super impressive was um the way that you can now um, sketch on a whiteboard how your application should look like. And then we are using AI to create a power app out of this, um, which again for me shows this this huge power of um, uh, our, our collaboration that we doing across Microsoft. So, so we talked about GitHub Copilot and the um, AI infusion there leveraging GDP3. We talked about um, power app having um, an ideas place where you can um, uh, generate and power FX formulas out of written text. And now I think this is just a beautiful continuation. So if you have a, a, um, a form already, or if you have a, a whiteboard sketch or whatever, then now you can use this to really create um, a power app um, automatically out of this. Um, it is actually already available, so I, I quickly checked it. Um, I, I obviously didn't have a lot of time to, to play around with this, but for me, with a simple app, it worked. So now it's, it will be interesting to see um, if there are any, any more complex scenarios that will also work with this experience. But I think for, really looking from this from a, from a citizen developer point of view, this, this can be quite exciting. Okay, so with this, um, I'm, I'm sure we will have more news next week as well when we wrap up, build, and, and get some additional insights. But for now, let's leave it at that, and um, maybe let's um, hand over to um, John and Ben, and maybe you can quickly introduce yourself, and then, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, your presentation. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, Aldrin team. Um... So my name is Ben Lennon, and John, I'll ask you to introduce yourself in a sec, um, if you don't mind. The short version of, of kind of our intros is, you know, and you guys know this well, but most of our viewers do too, Microsoft has a lot of different engineering teams for SAP. Um, John and I represent one of them that's dedicated to what we call the regulated industries, or sometimes the gov industries. Um, and what that means, we'll kind of get into here in a second. But the short version is that we're one of the engineering teams responsible for figuring out how to do SAP on Azure in a regulated industry. So my name's Ben Lennon. Uh, John, do you mind saying hi too? Hi, this is John Summer. I work with Ben. Appreciate it, Ben. So the short version then that I kind of want to walk you guys through is, uh, well, I'll start with definitions. So we talk about regulated industries. So when I say regulated industries, the short version is anybody, any vendor, customer, or organization that has a regulatory compliance. Okay, that's kind of simple. 
but it normally means that it's a government-imposed regulation. So that can be anything from a self-imposed regulation, like a regulation on a federal civilian agency, anybody in public sector, basically. So civilian agencies, DOD agencies, intelligence agencies, and anything else that fits in that, that's where I call them somewhat self-imposed. But then by expanding it past public sector to also include things like the aerospace and defense community, the defense industrial base community, uh, things like utilities companies, oil and gas industries, the list kind of goes on. It's anybody, and this isn't, you'll hear me talk a lot about U.S. companies and U.S. regulations, but that's just because it's my backyard. Um, it applies globally. And from Microsoft's point of view, the way we view the regulated industries and our compliance in them and the way we help our customers then be compliant against those regulations is done globally. And the way we typically think of it then is if you've got different industries, civilian agency industries, defense industries, and et cetera, like I mentioned, most of those come with regulatory compliances that directly affect their IT and solution landscapes. So if you walk through Microsoft, we've got a lot of reference architectures that apply against those compliances. Okay, pause. We're here talking about SAP on Azure. We've got a lot of reference architectures that talk about SAP on Azure. So workload-based architectures. What we're really then talking about, you know, John, myself, and the way that Microsoft views the regulated space is we're talking about the mesh of those two reference architectures. Mm -hmm. How do you take an SAP architecture and make it compliant with the reference architecture for the regulations? So I can't help but then let me show you guys kind of what I mean by some of those regulations, because that can take a lot of different forms. And the ones I want to call out then are really any of the ones that apply by those industries I just named. So like I said, I'm going to start on focusing on some of the US's for, for a couple of reasons. It's the ones I'm most familiar with. But in some ways, it's also, um, I'm not going to call it the most complex or the most varied, but they do a pretty good job of saying, these are the ones for this industry vertical. These are the ones for this industry vertical. These are the ones for this industry vertical. Not a great job, but they try. If I break it across, there's a lot of different ones that are worth having, you know, the name brand recognition, so to speak, in the top of your mind. Uh, one of them is FedRAMP, and FedRAMP usually applies to your civilian agencies, Department of Agriculture, Interior, uh, the good old IRS, and everybody else that kind of falls in that .gov space as opposed to that .mil space. Now, it gets broader than that as soon as we start talking about federal acquisition regulations, FAR and DFAR, and a couple of others. But if I walk from .gov to the right into .mil, we wind up with the DODs. Now, the relevance of those guys is almost all of these requirements are built around something that's in the dead metal of my screen right now called the NIST 800s, whether that's 171, 53, a couple of the others, because if I if I walk into Australia, for example, and start talking about IRAP, it's actually going to be based off of some of the 837 requirements. But there's a lot of different compliance requirements then that overlap 
but then break into those industry verticals like I described to give you these are the ones for federal agencies. These are the ones for defense agencies. These are the ones for defense customers. So I can talk a lot about what it means to be a vendor to the government, but the best way to kind of overlap these things is the way regulatory compliances apply against SAP workloads or non-SAP workloads is very often done by the type of data. It's a little bit more complex than that in a lot of different ways, and anyone who's a cybersecurity guy should be kicking me under the table right now with good reason. I'm kicking myself. But it's really then about defining what's the data in your SCP system, what's the type of federal entity that's imposing those regulations upon you, what are the reference architectures that you need to meet in order to be compliant with those things, and how are you then controlling your data within them? So taking that just to the three levels that I've got, you've got your civilian agencies, your defense agencies, and your vendors to either. ITAR specifically is the, oh, let's see, it's the International Traffic and Arms Regulations. So it's anything that's on the U.S. munitions list. There's EAR and a couple of other export and import controls, and they usually make up uh, applications of the DFARS, which is the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulations, against a vendor, against a private sector company. A uh, perfect example of that one's actually Microsoft, we are a vendor to the U.S. government, and we have DFARS implications on us. I'll mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about that in a second. But if I'm focusing on the U.S., I've done that by industry. You can kind of also look at different things, requirements, regulations that are outside of .mil, .gov, et cetera, with things like HIPAA as an easy example for healthcare. PCI DSS shows up with compliances with credit cards and others. There's a lot of other ones, some of which I've grayed out on the screen, but then there's also regulatory requirements. Again, Microsoft's a global company. We have data centers and regions throughout the entire planet. So we've got to be cognizant of any sovereign cloud requirement. Things like Australia. I mentioned IRAP a minute ago, but then there's also CCSL and just the CCS in general. I could walk across the bottom of the screen, but the other one that I'll call out in particular is Canada's requirements. And a lot of these different requirements, if I go back to data, are designed to govern, you know, FCI, federal contracting information, which Microsoft has a lot of, go figure, CUI, controlled unclassified information, and then its counterpart, broadly just classified and controlled information. Whether a country defines that as classified or various forms of protecteds, for example, protected B up in Canada or others, you're all really then defining, okay, this type of data has regulations against it. And then some of the ones I have on the screen are the compliancy definitions that control how you implement your architecture to be compliant or even certified against those regulations. So I'm calling these ones out so that you've kind of got them as the name brand recognition ones, but they apply to the SAP workloads just as much as they apply to non-SAPs. Okay, let me I give you an example. Go ahead. No, I, I, what I find really fascinating, honestly, I mean, I have shown this slide to customers, I don't know how, how often, and I, I typically just say, look, we have so many compliances, I'm not the expert, um, but uh, <laughs> just look at the logos, and if you need more questions, look, there's the Trust Center logo, and, and I'm sure we can find someone who can talk about this. And it looks like 
you are exactly the person um, that can talk about these. I think um, because I mean I I think as I mentioned in, in the introduction, I, I really think that Microsoft is doing a fantastic job there, really working with the different industry, working with the governments to make sure that we have these compliances in place. But honestly, for me. I mean, I, I see that we have a huge number and I see the logos, which is great, but I don't know exactly what what is required by the DOD. What does level four and level five mean? I, I, I don't know, but but it's great to see that, that you are the expert there and that I can pull you in the next call if the customer has some specific so questions there. I have also one question. I mean, I have the same same issue with with, uh, with uh, like uh, Holger. But when I'm presenting, I'm just hoping that nobody will ask me something because I have no <laughs> idea what. Yeah. But you know, one one question from very naive corner. Yeah. So when you discuss about those compliances, does mean does mean when I have a compliance A and B, is there some some conflicts between compliances where you can say if you have this one, you cannot have this one. Or is there something like, okay, if you have uh, A compliance, then you don't need B compliance, or this is somehow not connected to each other at all? No, it's a it's a brilliant question, and it's one that um, everybody in the space, when when they're an organization that deals with these compliances, has to ask themselves of, mm. okay, am I contradicting myself? If I mm. meet this compliance requirement, how do I meet the other one? The the most common exercise is they layer on top of each other. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of the, you'll hear the common phrase in the security realm of the high water mark. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's what's mm -hmm. the highest mark on the tide, be compliant against that level. And that then creates the problem of how do you equate different industry regulation requirements against one another? Which one's mm -hmm. more important than the other one? Mm -hmm. And there's no straight answer to it unless you go into each individual customer's compliance requirements. And, mm -hmm. um, I'll take your guys' compliment. I'm not usually the best expert. I'm just usually the one who knows how to find the experts because every situation is so different that it's almost like you can master maybe one of these, okay. which means any given customer's got multiple. It takes a cyber team to figure out what the perfect picture is, comma, however, when I talk about Microsoft's, you know, mm. standard reference architectures by security reference, it's because we've tried to build those teams and build by form. Here's the most common ones. So what that normally translates to, and I've got a good example of this actually against Microsoft's own standards. It normally translates to, okay, I need these 20 or 30 controls from this one, these 20 or 30 controls from this one. And I can pick and choose which one of these I do because they actually derive themselves from the same requirement over here. <laughs> but you then wind up with a individual runbook, especially for complex workloads like SAP that talk to a whole bunch of other systems, even just within the Microsoft portfolio, the way SAP interacts with Office 365 is a great example. But you then talk about how do they interact with each other, both from a API, data connections, workflow point of view, and a cyber point of view. Because there are times when a normal architecture, when you impose security regulations against it, it will break certain connections that you could use historically. Um, really common example is you can't transfer things over pu public internet 90% of the time. Not that most customers want to anyways, but now all of a sudden you can't. 
So back to kind of the question that you got there, how do you kind of layer these things together? It's different customer by customer, comma, however, you pick the high watermark and try and use the reference architectures that Microsoft publishes for each of these individually to then map against how do you as an individual customer implement it? Um, does that help a little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks. So you guys have given me uh, the good way and let me find when when we talk about Microsoft and you guys have done this in the past to a really good degree uh, Microsoft's one of SCP's biggest customers so I don't have to go far to find an example of how does a given organization entity and a private sector pardon my hiccups uh, meet and find that overlap of compliance requirements for their SCP environment uh, Microsoft is a cloud vendor, we're a hardware vendor, we're a hardware manufacturer. We sell to civilian agencies, we sell to defense agencies, we sell to intelligence agencies, and everything in between. So naturally, when we talk about our SAP environments, they're complex. They're actually complex enough that we actually have two, um, which to most SAP customers in this industry space, they're going to want to jump at me through the window right now. Because when I say that we only have two and we got it down to two, that's a state of nirvana. Um, it's actually great that we only have two. And our two are basically defined as our global footprint and then our U.S. federal footprint. And in that U.S. federal footprint, our SAP system has a lot of different security requirements, but I'll call out the three big ones. And I've mentioned pieces of them. There's the defense federal acquisition regulations. There's the CCSRG, which are some of the ones imposed by the DOD entities, and specifically the defense requirements. Then there's also, and I mentioned this one being in the center of my screen, NIST. Now, you're not seeing FedRAMP, you're not seeing ITAR, and you're not seeing that impact level thing. Okay, the reason for that is these are actually requirements that make up those other ones. So where I answered a second ago, you got to kind of go back and figure out what was the common derivation for those requirements. These are the three big ones. The reason I've got it in an overlapping Venn diagram is because our compliance scope's dead in the middle of it. So we had to go through with our exercise and figure out, okay, how do we impose these over things to each other? Okay, if I fast forward through some of that, the question becomes, okay, Ben, how did you guys do that? Because that's the problem set that a lot of our SAP and Microsoft joint customers are in of how do I actually do that? That would take more time than I've got, but here's the short version. Um, and I'll stick in the U.S. as an example. When you talk about how to meet security compliance requirements in the cloud, you've got to talk about this concept of inherited controls. Inherited controls in the US come from our sovereign regions. We've basically got four of them. We, we kind of have five, but I'm just going to stick to four for a second. And if you read them left to right, you'll get it pretty quick. There's all of our commercial regions. There's our government region. There's our government secret and our government top secret. The fifth one that I'm not really talking about is the one that's halfway between government and government secret, and it's government DOD. For most of our SAP customers, though, the way you overlap SAP requirements with government requirements can be met just with the government requirement, not the Azure DOD one. 
that goes a little bit into the weeds. Um, and it's a conversation that we can happily have with those DOD customers in detail and usually do. But for the sake of kind of wrapping your head around what's been talking about with the regulations, how did Microsoft meet it? We took the right region, which comes with the services and tools baked into it, that's already certified at a certain level. And then internally to Microsoft, we inherit our own controls, but you can see where you could be a customer of Microsoft's and inherit those controls up into your overall security regulations baseline. So from the point of view of, okay, I need to meet impact level four. That's the one that's at the top of the Azure government box right now. The way you would do that is you would get the service from Microsoft, <clears throat> get to impact level four as an inherited control, and then layer on top of it all of the individual ways that as an end customer of the governments, or rather as an end vendor of the governments, you've got certain responsibilities for reporting, logging, architecture hardening, and everything else in between to then meet those regulatory compliances. You can inherit a lot of them from Microsoft as a cloud service provider mm -hmm. and then build on top of that architecture yourself. That's where a lot of the SAP architectures come into play because they define how you do that stuff above and beyond the hypervisor. And that's a, a key point that I would want to leave both you guys and our viewers with. When we talk about adding complexity via security, the reality is it is adding. What I mean by that is everything that you guys talk about and the different reference architectures that we spend our time here kind of going through, they apply. When you add security on top of it, it just adds more components mm -hmm. to it. Maybe it's additional monitoring capabilities. Maybe it's additional hardening requirements. But at minimum, it's building on top of the already existing reference architectures. There are very, very few cases where they conflict. And again, most of those are simple things from the point of view. That the example I gave earlier was not sending stuff across the public internet. That's a relatively dull one that most companies don't want to do anyways if they can avoid it. But that's an example of one. So my point on that then is when we talk about VNet structure, subnet structure, network architectures, resiliency, and et cetera, the best practices of how to build an SAP architecture, take the PPG requirement update that you guys gave earlier today, those still apply. You then just have to layer the extra requirements on top of it. So what I kind of want to shift to talking then is um, when you talk about SAP and you talk about the vision of what's going to happen in the next 10 years with SAP, I'm going to also then talk about what's going to happen in the next 10 years when it comes to security requirements. But you have to do both together. So this is another classic slide that you guys have seen a million times. Most of our viewers have too. SAP represents it their own way that's just similar. And you can't talk about SAP without talking about S4. And you usually can't talk about S4 without talking about cloud. Because of the security requirements in this space, it's a pretty common practice, cloud or no cloud, that um, customers of SAPs, users of the SAP solution set in the space are slower to adopt commercial practices. Again, that's kind of a duh, go figure. Government's slower than a private company. But what it translates to is a lot of the things that customers figured out a year or two ago on benefits of cloud, 
how to adopt into a HANA framework, how to prepare for an S4 move or to go through one, what are some of the ways that they can move up a maturity scale of using SAP in the cloud environment? A lot of our government customers and a lot of our private sector customers and vendors to the government that have government regulations, again, hi, Microsoft is an example of that, are a little bit slower to adopt some of the, the better ways to do that. Translation, slower to move to suite on HANA, slower to move to S4. But it's 2022, you got the requirement for S4 around the corner at this point. A lot of the practices that have been done commercially and perfected over the last couple of years can now be learned by these regulatory customers in the space and implemented. So when we talk about, hey, over the last four or five years, what are the innovations that have come out with SAP and the overlap and in innovations between Microsoft and SAP? The cool part to me about the regulated customers is they get the silver lining of because they were slow enough, all of these things have been play tested a couple of times at this point and can now then be taken on as the best practices for the mm -hmm. baseline SAP architecture. And then you just layer the security on top of it. And that's an important point to me because it, it means that they're behind, but there's this, you think of it like traffic, there's a little bit of an elastic catch up that's happening in the next year or two. And there's really good ways to then move into a compliant environment and an S4 environment at the same time. So it's a little bit of a catch-up mechanic that's an interesting one. Yeah. I think Could that's be... really... Sorry, go ahead. I just... I think I'm that's... just thinking... Okay, go, go on, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I remember when all this cloud migration started seven or 10 years ago, the, the main topic was primary topic first and the last was the security. You know, will I get less, you know, with normal, quote-unquote, normal customers. And basically, after some time, you know, I, what I figured it out, the customer realized, well, when I move to the cloud, actually, I get much more security because all those stems, I, they can't provide it. Even the hosters can't do it. You know, it's just too expensive. So in some way, it becomes even motivation to increase the security goes to the cloud. So maybe it would be just interesting to get your opinion or experience here with such government customer which actually require even more security um how, how they look on this and i could imagine that even what you said it's a slower for them i mean they might have they surely have more security discussion than mm -hmm. an average customer which slows down the process right it does how's your experience there or no, it's it's a brilliant question, and it's it's actually a fun one from a philosophical point of view because when you talk about, you know, the commercial benefits of a hyperscaler cloud, you talk about the fact that hey, <clears throat> by, by definition of hyperscaler, they should be cheaper to manage my infrastructure because they're doing it at scale. That's the whole point of cloud is scalability and management at scale. That applies to both hardware management, power management, all the other things that come with VM management, but it also applies to security. Because the reality is that when we say that we've got a certified cloud at a certain level, that is applied, it's security principles applied at scale. So when you then buy a service from a hyperscaler or a cloud vendor, anybody that's a CSP, a cloud service provider, and has a CSO or cloud service offering, 
you're inheriting blank as a service, whether that's infrastructure, platform, or software, it can also be cybersecurity, even mm. certifications and compliances. So the way I typically think of that, and you heard me use a term earlier called inherited controls, if you're a vendor to the government, uh, an aerospace and defense customer, a software company like us, or anything in between, you have to prove to the government that everything in your entire stack, all the way from bottom hardware, power, all the way up through end user and multi-factor authentication, et cetera, you have to prove that this entire stack is compliant. The cool part about infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service is when you get one of those service levels from a cloud vendor, they've already got it certified and proven to the government for that chunk. So what you're then doing is you're buying the proof of that portion of that stack from a vendor. So that's where, in my mind, the onset of cloud that's happened over the last seven years in commercial space, it took a little bit of time for even people like Microsoft to figure out how do I sell security as a service. But at this point in time, we figured it out and we have for the past couple of years. So now those customers that are ready for that S4 journey, they get the benefits of both worlds, both scale at infrastructure level and tooling level and scale at security. So it's a little bit of a winded answer, but that's that's the way I view that. And that's the way um, more and more government agencies themselves, much less government vendors are moving to the cloud because they just don't have time to manage all those compliance requirements themselves. Makes sense, yeah. And also, you know, uh, I always using the argument to to somehow convince uh, customer and partners to to really uh, not ignore the the uh, cloud governance. Yeah, so you know, taking care about policy, taking about the security, and I, I now can sell also compliance part of that. But also, I think it's very important to to um, to point out that. I have a, a compliances in my infrastructure as a service, as you mentioned, and the platform as a service. But mm -hmm. I, as a customer, can combine all those services and then create some services which are exposed in non-compliance way. So then it's important mm -hmm. of governance to control that and to monitor that I'm not breaking some compliances which I'm, which I'm inheriting from my infrastructure. Platform as a service is very important, correct? I would completely agree with that. And it's it's cool because you can combine them in ways to break things and yeah. you can combine them in ways to meet things. Um, one of my personal favorites is when you start talking about unified identity reporting mm -hmm. um, and you talk about things like, okay, how do I use Azure Active Directory to control simple things like single sign-on into SCP, be it the GUI or S4, or BTP even. But when you really start breaking that down and you get things like Azure Active Directory combined with Sentinel, to create that unified reporting model, you can get out of old-fashioned RBAC or role-based controls mm -hmm. into policy and even, I would argue the industry is not here yet, but attribute-based controls too. And when you get to that level, what it lets you do is apply security regulations that would be at this layer, this layer, and this layer. All of a sudden you can apply them as a policy and once you've got an individual within that policy, you can meet them all at once because you can track if that finance user went into a non-SAP, non-finance system and did something he wasn't supposed to, 
that would have been something like mm -hmm. a classic Sarbanes-Oxley violation yeah. Yeah. and actually see what that user did across multiple systems. That's the cool part to me when you start combining them to create new ways to be compliant. Yep. And we're pretty good at that. <laughs> good. Super. So those are the points that I'd frankly probably leave you guys with is you've got this situation that's almost a perfect storm for this type of regulatory space where because they were slow to adopt with good reason, but slow to kind of figure out how do I make this compliance environment work in a cloud environment? Oh, by the way, I've got this looming deadline from SAP. Because both of those kind of happened at once, you've got this ability to kind of slingshot and catch up. And a lot of what you guys spend your times, you know, figuring out on what's the best way to run SAP on Azure and run SAP in a cloud environment. Every single one of those use cases in my my mind directly carries for the last couple of years carries all at once into this space that we've got in the regulated place all you've got to do then is figure out how to take those sap reference architectures and combine them into the industry reference architectures because as as microsoft we've got both and some of them already merged but it's different customer by customer based on their security requirements so it's the game of how do i take two different decks of cards and play play 52 card pickup in the middle and that's what um, we've got teams like myself and some of the other engineering teams that are dedicated to doing that, both at a macro level and a micro level. Um, mm -hmm. And the example of how we did it at MS Feds, one of the classic ones, purely because you've always got the classic Microsoft saying of drinking our own champagne or eating our own dog food. And it's it's a really good example of how we did it. But that's that's me on my soapbox. And um <laughs> some of the things that we've got out there. So I appreciate the time, you guys. Great. No, th this is this is really fantastic. And actually, what I what I really liked was was the statement that, that um, I mean, typically, um, when you think of governance, they they are not always the the fastest and quickest to adopt. But um, the, the last thing that you said, this this leapfrogging, that that now they can really catch up because a lot of things um, that were done now in the public sector, so so in, in, in public companies, um, they can adopt this now and, and really implement these functionalities immediately um, also in the regulated industries. So that, that's and I, if I think of um, starting from here, Goran and I were working on this database migration option tool um, to, to simplify the migration from an ECC on premise into S4HANA on Azure, for example, that wasn't there like three years ago. Now, right. if a regulated customer would would do this, well, they could immediately benefit from this tool and immediately right. go to S4, not do this this intermediate step. And if I look at a lot of other integration scenarios or or past services that we have on Azure, I think that that's really really an interesting thought and a, a great opportunity for um, customers in the regulated industry to catch up, basically. Yeah. I completely agree. The other perfect example in my mind is some of the deployment automation framework components. Yes. Just yeah. some of the scripting things that yeah. have figured out, here's how to do SAP at scale in a, you know, automated fashion. Automation's the favorite thing in the world of a cyber guy from the point of view of, if you're going to tell me that it takes people out of the equation and that that guy can't break it, and I don't have to monitor him anymore. That's huge because yeah. all of a sudden you compliant once and as long as you meet the automation over and over again, you're complying every time. 
that's a huge value point, but that automation took a couple years to get developed in commercial. Now regulated and gov gets to take advantage of it. Well, yeah, that's another great point. Right. So great. No, Ben, I think thank you. That was that was really, really insightful. Actually, also one more thing that that was an interesting takeaway for me. Um, I wasn't actually aware. I mean, I knew actually that that Microsoft is 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 also impacted by this and, and that we have our mm -hmm. federal system. But I wasn't really aware how critical this is or, or what, what are all these different regulations that we need to make sure to to address. So that was also really, really interesting. And I'm sure there are lots of other companies that are where you don't necessarily think. I mean, if I if I look at DOD or something like that, mm -hmm. of course, they, they need to um, and, and military, they, they need to address the, or adhere to these regulations. Um, but that a lot of other companies are also impacted. That was Correct. also really interesting. Yeah, it's not just the guys that make, you know, bullets, band-aids, and bombs yep. kind of thing. It's it's anybody. It's transportation companies. Um, it's any type of finance company. The second you do anything that's related to federal contracting information or anything in between, all of a sudden, even if it's like five percent of your business or less. All of a sudden, you've got security compliance requirements because when I talk about that high watermark or that high baseline, if you've got any data that requires compliance and you put it in one SAP system, all yeah. of a sudden the whole thing has to be on the high watermark. So dealing with that's kind of a, I won't call it a challenge. Um, I'll call it an exercise. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Perfect. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. That was really, really, really insightful and actually also very uh, good to know that now I know who to ask if I need to uh, have someone who uh, does a take a take a closer look at the the um, compliance slide. So that's always very helpful. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me and thank thanks you. for having the topic. It's a good one. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bless you guys.